Hey, you're listening to Urban Roots, where we press pause on a rapidly evolving world to talk greener cities and urban sustainability. We're your hosts, Ben, Abby, and Monique, and this season we're exploring a city that's very close to our hearts and our backyards. We're in Brisbane, and we're talking about urban sustainability with the 2032 Olympic Games on the horizon. If you were here with us last week, you would have heard that we spoke about just how sustainable Brisbane and South East Queensland actually are. So be sure to go listen to that episode first, because this week we're talking about the 2032 Brisbane Olympics. So the 2020 Tokyo Summer Olympics and Paralympics only recently came to a close after being postponed for a year due to COVID-19. Recognising the need to better consider the environment, the International Olympic Committee, or the IOC, has made some pretty huge updates to their policies involving the selection process. Exactly. So this episode, we are finally diving into the 2032 Brisbane Summer Olympics. I'm going to talk a bit about those IOC changes and what that means for Brisbane as the host of the 2032 Olympics. Now, there actually isn't a lot of information out yet about the 2032 Brisbane Olympics. It's a little over 10 years away and a committee was only recently established, so there really isn't much to reveal about the event. But I'm going to look at the relationship between sustainability and the Olympics, what the IOC changes have to do with it and what this means for Brisbane in 2032. In the last few decades or so, the Olympic Games have received some pretty bad press for their lack of hindsight into the lasting impacts of the huge event. This ranges from videos exploring the abandoned facilities that were built for the Games, to actual organisations investigating if the events stack up to their initial eco-friendly claims. In a peer-reviewed study that evaluated the sustainability of the Olympic Games, published in the Nature Sustainability Journal, Researchers accused the 2020 Tokyo Olympics of their sustainability efforts, especially those that were heavily mediatized, which have a superficial effect. Some of these include 3D printed podiums used both for the Olympics and Paralympics, made from recycled plastic, and the Olympic medals made from recycled metals. However, the Tokyo Olympics was the first to reach carbon neutral status by offsetting any emissions they produce. Bringing it back to Australia, in 1993, Sydney partly won the bid to host the 2000 Olympics after promising to make the Games environmentally friendly. While Olympic organisers successfully made public transport a key focus of the game, Greenpeace later critiqued it for using air conditioners and refrigeration with harmful chemicals for the ozone layer. The International Olympic Committee began to change its tune in 2014 with the implementation of the Olympic Gender 2020, which saw some pretty big changes planned. The three main pillars of this agenda are sustainability, credibility, and youth. As you may be able to tell, I'll be talking about the sustainability aspect. These goals were formed in line with the 17 United Nations Sustainability Development Goals and the Paris Climate Change Agreement. So, the Tokyo Games achieved carbon neutral status, with Paris and Los Angeles tasked to do the same in 2024 and 2028 respectively. Come 2032, Brisbane is expected to be the first climate positive Games in line with the Olympic Gender 2020. Climate positive basically means that first, you achieve carbon neutrality by offsetting any emissions created both during the lead up to the Games and the event itself, but then also incorporating lasting change that continues after the Games are concluded to create continuous benefits for the environment. This can include anything from reusing new facilities to lasting public transport options. 
To understand Brisbane's position to host the 2032 Olympics a little better, I am going to be talking with a spokesperson from TransLink about the role the public transport company played in the 2018 Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast for some insight into what Queensland can achieve for such large-scale events. The Games won numerous sustainability awards from the Green Building Council Australia, the Australian Business Awards, the Premier's Sustainability Awards and the Human Rights Awards. I've got Gordon Buchanan here from TransLink to understand how public transport played a role in this. Gordon, what is your role at TransLink? My role at TransLink is the Executive Director of Operations. So I basically head up the operational component of the of the business here. So busway operations, senior network officers and a real-time sort of network monitoring um, capability that we have, a little control room. Were you around when TransLink was involved with the 2018 Commonwealth Games? Yeah, so my role was to actually land the Games. So I was brought in about eight months out from the Games to operationalise all the plans. Okay, wow, that's for awesome the, to hear. For the public transport and, um, for the sp- and for the workforce travel. Definitely, and I think public transport is a big aspect of making it a sustainable event. So I guess I wanted to ask, just generally, what are the benefits of public transport in a metropolitan environment? Yeah, so public transport takes lots of cars off the road, obviously. So what you do is you get reduced emissions. You get reduced congestion, which leads to reduced delays to customers, less accidents, which increases safety, and all up, you get a more efficient transport system. Um, so basically, public transport contributes to keeping the arteries of a busy, busy city moving, especially during major disruptions like the Games. Is there anything else specifically that G-Link um, and the trams had a role in? Yeah, so we made some, you know, we made a lot of smart investments in transport infrastructure ahead of the Games um, to be a benefit the future. Um, of um, Gold Coast transport for the games. Um, so infrastructure, but also services as well. So we modelled a lot of the transport demand at a quite a forensic level. Um, we tested a lot of service patterns a long way out from the event. And some of those service patterns um, allow us now to um, scale up the service on the Gold Coast for congestion and respond to disruption. And all up, I mean, we, you know, we delivered 5.5 million trips on public transport across the 12 days of the Games, which is about four times the average that you would see on the Gold Coast. And the, the tram was a huge component of that. We had, um, I mean, it was a star performer. We had more than 1.1 million trips over that 12-day period on the tram, which is, again, four times the daily average. We had a kind of turn-up-and-go timetable, so that makes PT more attractive and responsive. We had our operations running 24-7, so we uplifted the tram, the rail and local buses. We had a transport coordination centre to make it all run efficiently and to try and smooth the flow, integrating the services so as, travel, as people travel between different modes. Um, and we had a travel demand management strategy that sort of engaged with the community over three years um, to kind of get, um, you know, 35% of locals um, in a survey identify that they changed their travel behaviours to support our games plans and to protect non-games travel as well at the time. Next, I'd like to ask... Are there any plans of TransLink being involved with the 2032 Olympics? Yes, um, transport is a huge component of the 2032 Olympics, as it is for every Olympics. The planning's at very early stages, so what I'd call foundational planning's on at the moment. That's to establish things like the local organising committee and the high-level governance, which transport will be a major component of. So expect that, that there'll be some sort of transport um, task force and working committee that sits underneath the overall governance. The Olympics being six times bigger than the Commonwealth Games and the Paralympics being about the same to- size of the Commonwealth Games just kind of, you know, tell you how big the task is. Uh, it's going to be huge with um, 11,000 athletes compared to 4,500 at the, at the Commonwealth Games, 23,000 media compared with 3,000 media, 
and 7 million spectators compared with 1.2 million spectators that we had at the Games. Yeah, I could imagine that is a massive scale difference, but I'm sure Queensland can do it. So yeah, I just want to say thanks for jumping online and talking with me, Gordon. You're welcome. Anytime. It's quite interesting to see how much of a positive impact public transport can have on such large-scale events and the role it plays in lessening the environmental footprint of these events, but also in general. So, I know I just viewed a bunch of numbers and information about eco-friendly pillars earlier. It's time to refresh a little. I'm going to talk with someone who actually worked in the media at the Tokyo Olympics. We're going to talk a little bit about the initiatives the Games have taken towards being carbon neutral. Her name is Saluni Bandara, a dear university colleague of mine, but she had to go back to Tokyo after the pandemic hit. When the world couldn't physically attend the Olympics, Saluni was fortunately a volunteer in the broadcast room. What was your role at the Tokyo Olympics? So I worked at the Tokyo Olympics as a part of the production content plus team for the Olympic Broadcasting Services. My role was to assist the people in the office translating and doing voiceover, responding to email, and assisting cameramen, and sometimes I did assisting like Olympic menus. And so I'd imagine as someone that did work at the 2020 Olympics, are you aware of the sustainability goals and the transition the Olympic Games are making to sustainability? So this time, this Tokyo Olympics were intended to be an environmentally friendly event. And the one that you all know the most about is the medal given to the athletes were made from recycled metals from cell phones and like other devices. And the torch was made of aluminium from temporary housing. And the podium where the victory ceremony was held was made of also waste plastic from households and ocean plastics. And not only that, but the electricity used for the games was provided by renewable energy. Were there any other like little recycling initiatives that you noticed or that you personally participated in at the 2020 Olympics? Uh, when I was in the office, we were given to have like our own my bottles in the office. Yeah. So like we don't use any like plastic stuff or any like just one time usable cups we had like our my bottles and we tend to have coffee or water in that bottles and we we use it um do you think these initiatives that they are taking do you think they're going to make a difference i think uh they should make a difference otherwise it's gonna affect for our future environment yeah i think so i think it's a very hard to tell but I think it's good that they're really making that change or trying to make that change and taking the steps towards doing And I it. hope like it should change for the future Olympics as well that other the next Olympics should follow our Tokyo Olympic and set a new goal to make more a better eco-friendly event. Yeah, definitely. I think that is really important that we really need to keep building off of it and getting a little a little bit better every single time. Those are some fascinating ways to recycle, especially for such a large-scale event like the Olympics. We've also got Luke Johnson, a dental receptionist from Cambridge, joining us today to talk about his new eco-friendly habits. Luke, what's your one small step? So I just bought a one-litre water bottle from a supermarket, and basically instead of throwing it away, because I could recycle it, but 
instead of throwing it away to be recycled, what I do is I wash it out after each use and then just refill it. I'll keep reusing it until the bottle is probably just not in a very good condition. Um, so I'll use it maybe 10 or 20 times and then I'll just go and buy another one. Um, it's just something that I um, sort of started doing maybe about a month or two ago. Returning back to everything we discussed earlier about the changes the IOC has made to the Olympics and their policies, I wanted to ask, what do you guys think about such a big event? And being the Olympics, it attracts a lot of traffic worldwide. Do you think it should be a smaller event? Do you think it's okay the way it is? What do you guys think about that? I think there is a lot more thought going into how to make the event a lower impact event, essentially. And that was clearly seen at the 2020 uh, Tokyo Olympics. But it is a massive event. Yeah. um, I mean, to be completely honest, like I'm not a big follower of the Olympics myself, but I do remember, you know, way back in, you know, early high school, primary school and stuff, if the, the Olympics were on TV, that's the thing they were on TV. So, you know, you'd sort of cancel half your classes for the day and, you know, everyone would sit around on the carpet like watching the Olympics on the TV. But it's a TV event as well. And I know that there's such like a physical aspect to it. There's got to be. It's absolutely enormous. But like, don't forget, like for so many people, thousands and thousands and thousands of people, it's it's a TV event. Pay attention to the kind of audiences that they're bringing in um, on the stations because that's not it's not less valuable that way. People are still having a good time watching it that way. So That's true. something that may not be as thought about is the amount of carbon emissions from all the planes coming in from all over mm. the world. And my family actually loves watching the Olympics. We kept the TV on, cheered for the our fellow Aussies yeah. um, and some of our other favourites from around the world. And I think it's great that we have this tradition and stuff, but even doing something like making sure all the athletes' carbon emissions from flying are offsetted, mm-hmm. I think that's a really good step to take. Well then, thank you for tuning into Urban Roots again. So we've covered everything Brisbane, so I want you guys to come back next week to hear us tackle urban sustainability in Melbourne. And see, Melbourne has the potential to become one of the most sustainable cities in the world, but it may also be one of the first to run out of water, and we'll get into that. Yeah, that'll be a really interesting episode. So don't forget, you can subscribe to Urban Roots to keep up with our sustainable adventures. Let us know your questions and tips for living sustainably. Find us on all good podcast apps at urbanroots.com.au and on Instagram at urbanrootspodcast. See you next time.